0: Okay, so I know some of you were here last week, and you're going to remember what we talked about last week. Um, we talked about trees, remember that? And two trees in particular in the story of Garden of Eden. Does anyone remember what the names of those trees were? Tree of Knowledge of Good and Evil, what's the other one called? Tree of Life. Excellent, okay. Yeah, we thought about these two trees in the story of the Garden of Eden, two kind of cosmic trees that set up the whole story of the Bible. The tree of life at the center of the garden on a high place, being a place of connection with God, where God wants to give us the gift of eternal life and where God says, eat, eat of this tree and all the trees in the garden uh, so that you can grow in wisdom, in my wisdom, by doing things my way, we can have this relationship you will grow in wisdom, be able to rule over creation with me. This is the tree of life. But close to this tree is a tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says to Adam and Eve, you can eat of any of the trees and eat, eat. Like the Hebrew way of emphasizing is to say something twice. You Freely eat, eat, eat of all these trees, but not of this one. Because if you eat from this one, you will die, die. You will surely die. And uh, it's like this tree of knowledge of good and evil, it looks nice and it's right beside the tree of life and you've got to walk past it to get to the tree of life. You've got to resist that temptation. It's a test. It's there's a test, which sounds bad. I mean, why would God put this test? It like sounds a bit sort of unkind of God to put this test this temptation for them, but think of it more like a test like um, if you were trying to teach your children how to cross the road and you taught them, you with them, you've said, look left, look right, look left, and then the first time you let them go around to the corner shop on, on their own and maybe you're looking from the front door to see whether they're going to do it. And if they don't do it, you're going to say, stop, look, you're not ready, it's a test. So the tree is there because, as a test to see whether Adam and Eve are ready to live in obedience to God, whether Adam and Eve are ready to trust that God will provide all that they need, or whether they're just going to go their own way and do their own thing. Do what's right in their own eyes. And of course, you know what happens. They do eat from this tree. And sin and death. Is unleashed upon them. They're exiled from the garden. And then the question is, how is God going to get them back to the garden, to the tree of life, into relationship with him? Who is going to be the person who can resist the tree of knowledge of good and evil, who can be completely obedient to God to bring them back? into a relationship with him. So, who have we got to choose from? Well, to start with, the first son of Adam and Eve is Cain, who kind of fails at the first step. He can't resist the test about being jealous of his brother. He kills his brother. It's the first murder in the Bible. And Abel's blood stains the earth and cries out for justice. And this leads to a whole cycle an escalation of violence so that we get several generations later to the time of Noah where God looks around and sees that violence is filling the earth and and the bloodshed needs to be cleansed. And there's only one righteous man. So maybe this man, Noah, Whose name is means rest and comfort. Maybe he's the one to bring humanity back into relationship with God, and so God kind of sets him a test. This is the first time we get tree, the word tree, back into the story. Tree meaning both. Well, it's the word etz, etz in Hebrew, which means both tree and wood. And so God says to no, I take a tree the gopher tree, and build an ark. It doesn't look like it's going to rain, but I'm going to flood the earth and cleanse the whole world. You need to build an ark. You need to make a tree boat. Salvation is going to come through a tree. And Noah, he passes the test. Even though it seems absurd, he he obeys God, builds the boat. He and his family are saved. The earth is cleansed. You know the story. The floods come. And eventually, when the floods start to go down, his boat ends up on a high place, Mount Ararat. Noah gets out of the boat. And the first thing he does is to build an altar. This is the first altar we see in the whole Bible. And probably, it doesn't say so, but probably Noah uses the wood which had been the test, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He uses that wood to make the sacrifice. And what he's doing there is recognizing, uh, saying that he wants to be in relationship with God. He's intentionally saying, I'm being obedient to you. He makes this altar. He offers it up to God. God accepts the offering and... He puts the rainbow in the sky, he says he's never going to flood the earth again, and he blesses Noah with something that is just like the Eden blessing that he blessed Adam and Eve with. He says, be fruitful and multiply. It's kind of like a reset at this point, so maybe Noah is the one to bring people back into relationship with God. And everything seems to be going brilliantly and Noah, he goes, plants a garden. It's a nice kind of uh, simile again with Eden. He plants a garden and everything looks great. But then the next verse, Noah gets drunk, uh, behaves in an indecent way. Everything goes wrong, he fails. And so it continues for more generations Until you get to the story of the Tower of Babel, where people's pride is so high that they think they don't need God at all. And they end up being scattered. So things are a mess again. And this is where we get to the passage that Russell just read for us. Because it's like God has another go. And this time, he calls Abraham. Or Abram, who's in the beginning of the story. He calls Abraham, and it's like, Another test, because he says, well, let's flip back to this slide before uh, John. He says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house, leave everything you know behind you, go to a land that I will show you. It's a bit vague. It's a bit vague. He's got to leave everything he's ever known behind, go to this land, unspecified place. But Abraham trusts that God will provide And he obeys. He passes the test. And off he goes. Um, And then when he gets eventually to... and and, Oh, yes, and then we also get this blessing, another kind of reset point. This is actually... I haven't put it out nicely here, but it's actually seven lines, the blessing, which is a real symbol of completeness, a complete blessing from God, along the lines of be fruitful and multiply. Because he's saying that from you... From your descendants, I'm going to make a great nation. And there are other parts uh, in in, in this story where it talks about Abraham's descendants being like as numerous as the grains of sand uh, on the beach uh, and stars in the sky. So it's like the Eden blessing again. That's all good. And uh, Abraham goes off, and then he gets um, to this land, to Canaan. And as he enters Canaan... What's the first thing he sees? He sees a tree, the oak of moray, which means the tree of vision. It's like he sees God. He's totally in relationship with God. So what does he do? He builds an altar to kind of recognize that. And then just so we really know what's going on and make all these connections, he goes up a mountain and makes another altar. So everything is going well. God's working in total, uh, Abraham's working in total obedience to God, and everything's going well, but then there are more tests, and the next test really is, uh, there's a famine, and Abraham fails this test, he, he doesn't trust that God will provide, he goes to Egypt, bad stuff happens there, you know, he makes some bad decisions about uh, allowing, uh, lying about his wife, and, and, and all sorts, so As you read on in this story, which you haven't got time to go into in every little step of the way, but you see that actually Abram has ten tests. And some of those he passes, and some of them he fails. Ten actually is a kind of also quite an important symbolic number in the Bible. You have the Ten Commandments, you have the Ten Plagues. Anyway, he gets these ten tests. Uh, Some he passes, and some he fails. And the biggest fail the biggest fail of all is that he doesn't trust that God is going to fulfill this blessing. He doesn't trust that God is going to provide this child that he's promised. I mean, you can't really blame him. He's 75, The story, and it's probably about 20 years later, and um, he's thinking this is just never going to happen. And so he's tempted to take things into his own hands. This is a tree of knowledge of good and evil that he does not resist. He doesn't stay trusting in God. You get a lot of Eden language in this passage. It says, Abraham and Sarah did what was good in their own eyes. Abraham listened to his wife. Sarah took Hagar. Hagar is the Egyptian slave of Sarah. She took Hagar and gave him to Abraham. Abraham sleeps with Hagar, she becomes pregnant, she has a child, Ishmael. And through this disobedience, all kinds of mess happens. There's a lot of jealousy and cruelty. And ultimately, after God has fulfilled his promise and Abraham and Sarah have had their own child, Isaac, Sarah becomes increasingly jealous. And in the end, Abraham expels Hagar and Ishmael. They're kind of sent into the wilderness on a kind of death march. As far as Abraham's concerned, they're not going to survive in this wilderness. Actually, if you read the story, God miraculously saves them. But as far as Abraham's concerned, he sent them to their death. This is a big fail for Abraham. He did not pass this test. And it's in that context that you come to Abraham's 10th and last test. And it's like God says to him, right, this is your last chance to see whether you are going to trust me or be obedient to me. You've sent Ishmael, your firstborn son, to his death. How are you going to show me that you can trust me and be faithful to me in everything? And he says, what's the thing that's most precious to you? And what is most precious to him? It is, of course, his son Isaac. So he's called to sacrifice his son Isaac. And this test, Abraham, I'm sure with heavy heart, decides to obey. And so he doesn't just walk past the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He cuts it down, really. And this wood, this tree, he puts on the back of Isaac, and they walk up this mountain. It's Mount Moriah. And uh, at the top of the mountain, he builds this altar, puts Isaac on it, picks up his knife, which is actually, interestingly, in the Hebrew, called an eater. Connections there. Um, And he's about to kill his son. And the angel of the Lord says, stop, stop. you pass the test. You don't need to do this. Look up. And Abraham looks up. What does he see? He sees another tree, the thicket. And in the thicket, this ram caught by its horns. In this tree, which is like the tree of life, there is a substitute for Isaac, There's a sheep that will be sacrificed to save Isaac. Salvation comes through the tree. And so Isaac is spared and the sheep is sacrificed on the altar. On top of this mountain, which will actually be the mountain on which Jerusalem, many years later, It's built, and the place where Jesus will give his life, on a tree. Abraham is not the sinless one who can pass every test and bring humanity back into relationship with God. But I think you can see what this story is pointing forward to. And that's what it's intended to do, to point forward to the one who is without sin, who can resist the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and ultimately is in a place to sacrifice himself, to give his blood, to cleanse the world, to bring humanity back to the garden, back to the tree of life, back to the gift of eternal life that God has always intended. So you can see how the Bible is set up for this whole big story. In fact, it goes on. I can't go on this morning, but I think in a couple of weeks, I get a chance to do Moses. And you see this whole theme uh, going on in Moses too. Is Moses the one? Anyway, why is – it's all fascinating, I think – But why is this important to us today, here, now? Because we all have our trees of knowledge of good and evil in our lives. They are all there, these chests, where we have a choice between what God wants us to do, learning wisdom from him, doing things his way, and doing what's right or what's good in our own eyes, doing our own thing. And the question is, are you aware of those trees in your life? We're in a season of Lent. It's a good time to pray that God will show you those trees where we are going our own way. Ways that will, are not just disobedient to God, but are going to lead to sin and death. And pray that we can pass the test, or we can trust that God will provide, be obedient to Him. Eat of that tree, eat, eat, and have eternal life. Let's pray now. Lord, thank you for the cross, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, The one who refused to sin, said no to the devil when he was tempted, and uh, stayed obedient to you, even to death on the cross. And we thank you, Lord, that through him, we are brought home to you, to that garden, to that place of peace and rest. In Jesus' name, amen.